are the future. Um, one day I'll tell you my entire story testimony, um, but, but uh, we got picked up as teenagers to go to church. And um, one of the ministries we still do is pick up teenagers to go to church and the young people and having uh, programs for them and uh, to hear that you guys are supporting the Long Island Youth Mentoring and all that they do is wonderful, wonderful to hear. Uh, no better place to start off the new year than in church, and I mean that wholeheartedly. And I also know this, right, and every day you choose to be here, you could have been anywhere else. Uh, you could have chose to be home sleeping, you could have chose to be um, out doing something else, um, but you chose to be here. Now, I understand a lot of people um, who normally are here can't be here today. Maybe they're sick, maybe they're away, maybe they're a little hesitant about being out and about in this particular thing uh, that's going around. Don't worry, this seems like it's going to be a yearly thing where there's going to get into the sickness uh, realm and then people are going to be scattered a little bit. Don't worry, the light will be on, the door will be open, and there will be a place who, who can come, should come, and uh, we pray for those that are at home, maybe they're watching live stream, um, we pray for them and everything like that. But here we are in the new year, 2022, it almost sounds like some kind of futuristic movie, and that's pretty, uh, pretty cool to have made it this far and to be alive and well. Tomorrow morning, I'm sure the gyms will be full. Ain't that right, Robbie? Is that right? The gyms will be full tomorrow? Uh, I, I joined the gym a couple weeks ago, so I could be a regular before the New Year crowd came in. Um, but when you think about New Year's resolutions and you think about what to do new and, and what will I do differently this year, that's a good question to ask. Like, What will be different this year for me? What will be different this year for any of us, for our family? What's our mission statement? What are we going to do? And it's a good time to take inventory and say, okay, who am I going to be this year compared to who I am last year? Now, hopefully, we're never satisfied with who we are. We may look back and say the year was a good year. We may look back and say, here are all the blessings that God gave us. Let us count our blessings. Um, but if we're honest, right, that, that progressive sanctification, meaning that, that, that model by which God makes us more into his image day by day, that means we're never going to stop growing. If we're believers, we're never going to stop growing. God's going to never stop growing us until we get up into heaven in the glory. That means we never plateau. You may as well just say that in your mind. You're never going to arrive spiritually while you're here on earth. We continue to grow and be more like Christ every single day. That means, that means today ought to be the day that you're most like Christ than any other day of your life. Now, I understand we backslide a lot. We grow complacent, we grow, we grow apathetic, and we say, man, I should have done this, I should have done that, and man, why am I like this? But technically speaking, as God grows us, we ought to be more like him every single day. So I want you to take personal inventory of yourself today. What will this year look like for you? What things should be different for you? Who do you want to be this year? You might also ask that question about your church. What do we want our church to be? Now, here's what I find fascinating. We want our churches to be this, and we want them to be that, and we want them to be like this, and we hope they're like that. And then I'll ask you this question. What is church? It's not the building. It's not the ministries. It's the people. If church is going to be revitalized, if church is going to have a revival, if church is going to be somewhere where the Spirit of God is flowing, what does that mean? That means individually we're revitalized. Individually we have personal revival. Individually the Spirit of God growing in and through us and pouring out over our cup, our cup runs over. So if we want our churches to be what we say we want them to be, that starts with us. That starts with that personal revival. That starts with the decisions we need to make. That's the start, that starts with us getting alone with God and saying, God, who am I? Who do you want me to be? How will you change me? And please equip me to have that change. May I be obedient to your word. What an awesome privilege to consider that God not only saved us, but he molds us as the potter does the clay to make us into his image. And we get to start this year off together and to see what God might have and to be excited about that. And forget about the, the excitement of prospects. We start off with the individual inventory and saying, God, how can I be changed for you? How can I be more like you? What changes need to be made in my life? Where is my commitment level to you? Let's open up in a word of prayer, and then you can open up to Romans chapter 12. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to pray. And Father, may we remind ourselves that we don't pray out of ritual, we don't pray out of routine, we pray because we need it. We, we cannot do this in our own efforts, we cannot do this in our own strength. 
Father, we need the Holy One of Heaven, you, Lord, to dwell in our midst, to speak through us, to use your perfect, inerrant, uh, infallible word to, for the, by the Spirit of God to work and through us to convict us, to show us. And so, Lord, we want to be more like your image. We still have a pull of the flesh. We still have a pull to the world sometimes. Forgive us of that, Lord. We want to be more like you. And, Father, I pray that if there's anybody teetering on the fence that's not saved, that today would be the day they hear your cry, that they would call on you as Savior. I also pray, Lord, that if there's anyone teetering on the fence of being all in for you, that today would be the day that they surrender whatever it is that's holding them back, and they would come before you as a chosen vessel, Lord, to be used as a tool and instrument in your hand for your glory. And so, Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would be speaking to us today. We pray all this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As this holiday season is just kind of passing through us, one of my favorite drinks as a young person was eggnog. Now, I didn't just like any kind of eggnog. I hated the eggnogs that tasted too nutmeggy. I hated the eggnogs that, that kind of tasted um, you know, too rich. My favorite eggnog, and it's, no, it's changed its recipe, so I can't even tell you to go get some. But my favorite eggnog growing up was Borden's eggnog, but it was in a can. It wasn't in the refrigeration section. It was actually on a shelf, and it was in a can. They since changed it to a box, and they since changed the flavor of it, and it doesn't taste quite the same. But when it was in the can, it was really, really good. And I remember being in Wisconsin when I went to college, and I couldn't, they couldn't find any on, in, the, in the shelves of the stores there. My mom sent me two cans of eggnog, and I shared with my roommates as if it was the best drink in the entire world. I remember reading about the uh, Borden family, the ones that made that Borden's eggnog. I remember reading about um, a man from the Borden family. His name was William Borden, and he was the heir to that same Borden dairy family. And in the late 1800s, he was saved under the preaching ministry of R.A. Torrey. If you're familiar with some of the preachers in the 1800s, R.A. Torrey was a, a fabulous preacher. And he was saved in the late 1800s, and he graduated from high school in 1904, and he was already an heir to a multimillion-dollar uh, company. And as a graduation present, his parents paid for him to travel around the world, and he was only 16 at the time, but they paid for him to travel around the entire world and kind of get that experience. They were millionaires, and they could do that. It was on that trip, as he began to go in and out of different ports, that God started to stir his heart about missions. And he wrote home to tell his parents that, that he would no longer be taking over the family business, as was intended from birth but instead that God was preparing his heart for missions and to go on the mission field. And in his Bible, right after he sent the letter home about his desire for the mission field, even at the abandonment of millions of dollars and to be the heir of that particular company and to run it, he wrote these two words, no reserves. As God called him to missions, he wrote no reserves. The next year he entered Yale University, which at the time was a Bible college training preachers and lawyers, but preachers in particular, and upon graduating from Yale, also went to Princeton uh, Divinity School, and he was offered many high-paying jobs, but he turned them all down because he had already committed to the burden that God put in his heart for the mission field. And many thought people thought he was nuts, uh, because wh why would you turn around down millions of dollars for to go into a foreign field where people will hate you, where people reject the message, where people aren't going to accept you? Why would you do that? And in his Bible... He wrote two words after kind of pushing them aside. He said, no retreats. The idea with no retreats is there's no plan B. There's no going back. I've committed to this. This is what God's called me to. There's no plan B in it. Well, the Lord worked in his heart, and God kind of put a burden in his heart to go to the northern part of China to reach the Muslim people. And so he first set off to Cairo, Egypt, to learn the language of the Muslims. And within a few months, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within a month, he was dead. But not before he could pen two more words in his Bible, no regrets. On his gravestone, I'm told, as I read this about him, where he's buried, he's buried in Egypt, that's where he died, his epitaph reads, only by faith in Christ could such life be lived. And as someone had his Bible, they read those six words, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And from that story that I read about him, William Borden was all in for Christ, all in. 
That means there was no plan B. There was no going back. There was no hesitation. Though there may have been some doubts along the way, there was no plan B. All his eggs were in that basket. And I want to implore you, and I want to challenge you, and I want to put on your table today the idea of being all in for Jesus Christ. That maybe you've dabbled, maybe this year, uh, this past year has been a little iffy, maybe in years gone by, it's been up and down. But I want to implore you today to make the personal decision to say, I don't know what anything else is going to happen, but I'm going to be all in for Jesus Christ in 2022. And I'm not talking about the Christianity we see around, the half-hearted business. I'm not talking about uh, the one where, where you kind of dabble. There's, there's no way out. There's no turning back. And I love the song. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I'm talking about going all in for Christ in a way that the world doesn't quite understand it. They don't understand your commitment. They, don't under, they would consider you to be a fanatic. They would consider you to be obsessed. Most people, though, in our society treat people, they treat Christianity, rather, like it's salt. They used to season their life with. They put a little bit here and a little bit of there when it's convenient. But Christianity and our life following Christ isn't something we sprinkle on. It is the main course. It is everything. It is the essence of all that we are. If we're really a believer and a really a follower of Christ, it's not something we just put a little bit of on or a little pinch in. It's who we are. It's what we ought to be. Yesterday, a couple of our friends decided that they were going to do the polar plunge. Now, they asked me, oh, we saw them on uh, New Year's Eve, they said, are you going to do the polar plunge? No. No. Well, why not? Don't you want to say you've done it? No. And it's not even that cold, right? I mean, it's pretty warm, and I'm sure that the temperature, that water's not even that bad. But let me tell you something. When it's, I don't even, first of all, I don't even like the beach, and if you think that's sacrilegious because I live on Long Island, I apologize. I hate the beach, and I can give you like 10 reasons why I hate the beach. But let's talk about a pool, because I do like pools. In the summer, if the pool is not like 74 degrees, I might not go in. I don't like cold water. And even if it, I'm one of these guys where if I go in the pool and I'm like, my toes got to get used to it. And then maybe a little more. I don't like cold water. I like going to like, Great Wolf Lodge, the entire room's 85 degrees, and the war, the water's all warm, and you've got a jacuzzi up top, a hot pool, and it's warmer there, too. I'm like, yeah, give me the warm water. There, the polar plunge, no. But when I go into the pool, I kind of put my foot in, I dabble in, maybe I even jump in, and then I get out quickly. My sister, when she was younger, she lives out in Washington now, but my sister, when she was a kid, she jumped right in right when she got there, and she wouldn't get out. I mean, she would be swimming, and her lips would be purple, purple lips. And they'd be up and down. Are you cold? No, I'm fine. Get out. You're turning into a prune, and you're going to have hypothermia. No, I'm fine. A lot of times, people treat their approach to Christianity not only like salt, but they kind of dabble in. And maybe I want to get in. Maybe I don't. And they, they kind of go throughout life putting their foot a little bit in and a little bit out and a little bit in, a little bit out, and they, they get like knee high, and they're like, look how spiritual I am, look how good I am. What I'm kind of telling you today is I want the Holy Spirit to challenge, and I, and I would imagine the Holy Spirit wants you to be closer to Christ than I would ever want you to be. What I think the Holy Spirit would want us to do, and what God would want us to do, what would be pleasing to Christ, is not this dabble in, this satisfied at waist deep, but a jump in, and we're not getting out. All in, not dabble in, not partial the way in, but jumping in with no ability to turn back. One of my favorite passages in the scriptures is when Elijah comes to Elisha. Now, Elijah is the main prophet, and he comes to this farm, and Elisha is plowing the field with the oxen. And Elijah says, Come with me. To make a long story short, there's a little bit of hesitation, but Elisha eventually does. 
But before he does, you know what they do? They boil the ox. You know what that means? That means he just took his farm animals and he just went home and killed them and cooked them and they ate them. You know what that means? There's no farming anymore. It means what I'm about to do, what God's called me to do, my following of God, there's no turning back because I've already severed plan B. I've already severed being able to go back to the way it was. I'm talking about that kind of Christianity where we lay it all on the line and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not a dabble, not a, not a sprinkle, not a pinch, not even a cupful, but all in committed to Christ. That's how the churches get revitalized. That's how the Great Commission gets carried out. That's when, you know, I, uh, Brother Sid, you know how missions get fulfilled when people will be all in for Christ, hear the call, and then go with no turning back. I loved hearing about um, the Murs family who later on in life said, we're going, and ended up. And I don't even know the whole story, and I apologize if I butchered it in any way. But to hear about anybody says, you know what? I'm going to Papua New Guinea, or I'm going to South. I'm in. This is what God's called me to do. I'm talking about that kind of thing. Forget the world around us, that kind of thing. You might know the missionary Jim Elliott, one of my favorites of all time missionary to the Aka Indians in Ecuador, and he had Nate Saint, the, um, the pilot who would fly down there, and, and uh, they eventually died an early death at the end of the spear. There was a movie made about it, end of the spear. The Aka Indians had some miscommunication with them and, and thought they were a threat and killed them. And then, of course, you know that their wives prepped. They stayed down there and, and won many of those people to the Lord. But one of the quotes that Jim Elliott is known for he is no fool to give that which he cannot keep, to save that which he cannot lose. And he wasn't wrong in that. He said, this life is but temporal. And the things I can do that I might enjoy, that might be pleasurable, that might be entertaining, those are temporal. I will easily give that up for a life of Christ, which no man can take away. I can't lose that in Christ. I can't lose those treasures in heaven um, when I'm doing it for the Lord. And he said, I'm, I will sacrifice these menial temporal things for that which is eternal. And friend, I'm asking you today, where is your life in that? Is that the type of Christianity that is true in your individual life? Is that true in your family? Is that true in our churches? I'm talking about that type of Christianity. I'm talking about the type of Christianity that doesn't care what other people think about it. I'm talking about that type of following of God where it's what he, what he wants more than what anybody else wants. The reality is if we care too much about what everyone else is thinking or wanting us to do, we'll never go very far. Because there's a lot of opposing opinions out there that don't want us to do it. Ah, you don't need that stuff. I remember the first time my parents didn't go to church with me at the time. I remember the first time they heard that I went to church three times a week. And it was like, what are you, in a cult? Three times a week? What's wrong with you? And I was like, well, I don't know. The church has Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I have it. I don't know. That's when I'm going. But that sounds insane. And that doesn't make me spiritual for going there, by the way. But what I am saying, all in for Christ, means that's the main thing we do this week is for Christ. As we're going to see in a minute when we read the passage of Scripture, if we're so concerned about fitting in with culture, we're not going to go very far for Christ. You mark this down. To fit in with the world, to be in step with the world, is going to be very out of step with Christ. And to be in step with Christ is going to be very out of step with the world. And I know we have this propensity to want to be in step with both. It doesn't work. You've probably heard the analogy of, of the man who lived right by the Mason-Dixon line and and he didn't know what side to fight for in the Civil War, and so he wore, wore a northern top and a southern pair of pants and went out there to try to be for both sides, and guess what happened? Both sides shot at him. You can't dabble both ways. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is John the Baptist. He'd run around dressed in camel skin, eating locusts, and shouting out, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wasn't very popular. People thought he was crazy. People thought he was nuts. He was fanatical. Wound up having his head cut off. That's the type of Christianity that we're talking about here. Later on, when Paul gets saved, when Saul gets saved, turns to Paul, there was nothing that would stop him 
from living out his life and carrying out the mission God called him to. Threatened with death, that wouldn't stop him. Shipwrecked, that wouldn't stop him. He kept on preaching. Even stoning him and leaving him outside the city city as if he was dead, that wasn't going to stop him. God allowed him to live and keep on preaching. And you know what his attitude was? And it wasn't macabre, it wasn't morbid. His attitude was, sure, kill me please. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the type of Christianity that will change a world. That's the type of Christianity that will change a church. That's the type of Christianity that will change a community. That's the type of Christianity that will change us. We already know who the Savior is. We already know the power that God is. Now it's about us following it. And before we'll ever need to change the world, we've got to change us and have the Holy Spirit change us and have the Holy Spirit change our churches where everybody's firing on this type of Christianity. Paul lived a life of no going back. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. But so many Christians never make it to the end because they always leave themselves a way out. You jump all in, commit to Christ in such a way there's no turning back. No way out, nothing else to do. So with all that being said, we turn over Romans chapter 12. Paul's writing to the church at Rome. It is amazing, right? Because it's the church at Rome. It's, it's the epicenter of the world empire at the time. It's where Caesar's seat is. And, and, and God has allowed the gospel to reach there and to see people saved in a very pagan society, in a very hostile environment, and people were saved. And this is the, this is the kind of commitment he is asking the Roman Christians to consider. Look what he says. I beseech you. Brethren, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The word beseech has the idea of I beg you, I urge you, I exhort you, please listen to me, as if he was going to grab them by the collar and say, hey, are you listening? I beseech you, I'm urging you, pleading with you, brethren, talking to believers, by the mercies of God. That you present, that's an action word for you. You present what? Your body. That means your entire being. That means your physical, your spiritual, your material, your immaterial, your life. I'm presenting my life. Now notice this. A living sacrifice. Throughout the entire Old Testament, there's a lot said about sacrifices. What's the sacrifice? A dead animal. What's the requirement here or the ask here? Living sacrifice. But when we kill an animal and we present it to God, there's no going back. The animal doesn't come alive again and say, ha ha, I'm back. It's given over and surrendered. What God is asking us here is that we present our lives He's not asking us necessarily to die. Sure, he is, he's asked some to die for his faith in throughout history. And he may even ask some to die now. But he is saying, I'm not asking you across the board to die for me. I'm asking you to present your bodies living sacrifices. L Lord, here's my life. Take all of it. And my hands are now off. It's yours to do with it what you desire to do with it. Most times, us Christians, we have our plans and we let God know about them. God, I'm going to be doing this. God, good. Or we get there to where we were going and we're like, we're good, right? I, I just want to make sure. And God's like, I, I didn't tell you to go anywhere. This says, God, my life is not mine. It's not what I decide to do. It's what you call me to do. And Lord, I'm not living my life for my desires and my wish and what I want. It's yours. A sacrifice is something given up and never gotten back. And the Bible is urging us here that our bodies would be a living sacrifice. Living. I'll ask you this question. Have you ever surrendered? Now, I understand surrender is a part of the Christian life, whether we've allowed it to be or not. Uh, for example, 
If you're here today, you've surrendered some part, even if you didn't realize you did. Salvation is a surrender of your will in, some, in a lot of ways. But what I'm asking here, the Bible is saying, I'm beseeching you to present your bodies. Have you ever came to a place where you have consciously recognized and confessed to the Lord and, and offered to the Lord, Lord, here is my life. Some people call it dedication. Some people call it full-time commitment. You can use whatever synonymous word you want. We're not talking about getting second blessings here. If you're familiar with some false sanctification models where all of a sudden now you're endowed with the Spirit you didn't have before. No, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a time where God works in your life that you say, okay, God, here it is. And if that means you're going to allow me to serve in this ministry or call me to that field or just meaning that I'm going to be the best servant of God in my local church that I can possibly be. Whatever it is, it is. Surrender to the cause of Christ. All or none. Line drawn in the sand. No way out. No reserves. No retreat. No regret. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've consciously and cognitively said to the Lord, Lord, here's my life. Use it. Show me what you want me to do. Point me in that direction and empower me to be able to do it. Equip me to be able to do it. Living sacrifice. Notice that this presenting is a voluntary one. Because you can say no to it. You can be like, nope. Because he says, I'm beseeching you to present your body. I'm imploring you. I'm asking you. I'm challenging you to. A lot of times we don't like to take our hands off the wheel. We want to keep our hands on the steering wheel. I don't know how they do driver's ed nowadays, but I remember taking driver's ed when I was 16. So you're talking, I don't know, 1995, 96. And the driver instructor, he's got a brake on his side. And I remember sometimes I'm driving and I go to like step on the brake and all of a sudden the brake's already gone. I'm like, get off. I know what I'm doing. I'm the instructor. Sometimes the driver would have to step on the brake. We kind of feel the same way sometimes with God. We want to be the instructor. We want to have our hands on it and say, I'll make sure, God, you're going in the direction I want you to go. And God's like, get in the back. I'm driving. You think of it this way. I have no flight training experience at all. The only flight I've ever been on are ones where I'm sitting in coach next to somebody I probably don't want to sit in next to unless they're giving a thousand dollars you heard that story a couple weeks ago I'll, I'll sit there but that's the only place I've ever been but if I went into a single engine plane and the pilot wanted to do something goofy there might be a temptation where I'm like like I would have any clue what I'm doing if I grab that sometimes we're like that with God God starts bringing us away we're like nope I'll, I'll take that thank you very much that's not what Paul's imploring here. He's saying, give me it all. Man, what a scary place to be. What a scary place to fully surrender to God. All or none. Voluntary. God, I trust you. Now, interestingly enough, we trust God with our eternal life, right? Like, my confidence in going to heaven is entirely based on what Christ has said in the Bible. Entirely. I trust him that when I die, there's no, I have no second guessing. I have no, like, plan B. It's when I die, it's Christ or I'm in trouble. I fully believe wholeheartedly to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And whosoever is called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have full confidence in that. And if you're a believer, you have the same confidence. Why is it that we can trust God with our eternal life, but we become so hesitant with our daily life? is that we want to control that, but we give him full control of eternal. We can trust him with eternal. I dare say we can trust him with daily. You know what it is? I think a lot of times we're fearful that if we give God full control of our life, he's going to make us miserable. I know young people, they have an idea. If I submit to God and who I'll marry, he'll make me marry someone that I'm not attracted to. And adults say, if I, if I fully submit to the Lord, he'll call me to some jungle in Africa. He will, maybe he won't. But 
I can tell you this. The Lord said this. Let me, let me use this mirror and make some secrets for a second. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The cry to go to missions hasn't weakened, but the hearing of the cry has lessened. That's why people are sending missionaries to America. And the American missionaries going out, new ones are getting hurt. That's why churches are, are, are slimming down and shutting doors. living sacrifice presented to him, holy and acceptable unto God. I'm so thankful that I can't make myself holy that he did when he died for me and I trusted him as Savior. He made me holy. But let me say all something about this. Not only am I holy in position because I'm in Christ, but I ought to have the desire and approach to be holy. I ought to want, we sing holy, holy, holy just a few seconds ago, and by the way, I don't tell people what to sing, and if you, yeah, you can ask David. <coughs> you ask me, what I'm preaching on throughout the week it becomes a great mystery. As a matter of fact, I kind of alluded on Friday night <coughs> to some people, Dave and Stephanie were over, and some people, and I kind of alluded what I might be preaching on, and Stephanie chuckled because she knows that's new. If, if I know by Friday what I'm preaching on, that's kind of like, wow. Because sometimes I'm like, Lord, show me. What I'm saying is that God aligned the song. We ought to have a desire to want to, Lord, I want to be holy before you, and I know you've made me holy in Christ, but I also desire to live a holy life. I also desire to live a life that would reflect and to be pleasing to you, not live recklessly and say, oh, God, you know, has me doing this. No, but I want to be holy before the Lord. He's forgiven me of it. I can be holy because of him, but I'm just saying holy and acceptable unto God. We want our bodies and our lives to reflect the holiness of God. We want them to reflect a God-honoring way in which we choose to live our life. Now, here's a big clincher one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I want to say something about reasonable service. The word service there is a word that is translated as in the heart of worship service. It's not just duty, but it's worship. That, uh, presenting our bodies is a form of worship. But re that word reasonable has the idea of just logical sense. It, it, it's from the same root word as logos. And so it is the same grouping there of logos, logical. It's, friend, it's your logical service to present your bodies. It's reasonable. It's, we're not asking for something over and above and, oh, my, whoa, spiritual giant of the world. He says to present your bodies a living sacrifice just makes sense. It's sensible worship. We like to worship God in our terms, don't we? I'll go there and I'll sing a couple songs and I will worship the Lord. He says, how about this? Can you worship me like this? And we're like, huh, what? Oh, look at the geese. That's nice. We distract ourselves from hearing God because this is a daunting task. Friend, it's just your re It's just logical. It's just logical. It's just logos. Your worship, it just makes sense that we follow God and he died for us and so we would live for him. God, here's my life. It's reasonable. Paul did the same thing, right? Paul, even God said, you know what, Paul, because you persecuted my people and the church and you wrecked havoc on the church and had people killed and all this other stuff, to get glory from you, I'm going to allow you to live a suffering life. Boy, I'm not singing anymore. Hi, guys. Um, to live a, a, a life that will be suffering. And you know what Paul said? Okay. Okay. He said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. He said, all those things that I obtain, I count but as dung. He put those in the past. And, and, and he said, I will live entirely under Christ. That's why he's living the life he did. He was wealthy and had prestige and, and, and had money and position and all kinds of things before he got saved. Then he got saved and said, okay, God, where are we going? I love in Acts chapter 16, he's ba basically going to go to Asia, and God's like, no. Then he's going to go to Bithynia, and God's like, no. And he's like, okay, where? And God sends him to Philippi, and hence you have him getting imprisoned. 
And you have the whole testimony of the Philippian jailer. He has Paul heard the cry of God. He said, God, where are we going? In prison? Okay, I'm there. Get whipped for you? Okay, I'm there. Get shipwrecked for you? I'm hanging on a board. Basically saying, we're not going to die, guys, because God already told me I'm going to make it there, so we're good. So eventually he gets beheaded for Christ. Where are today's martyrs? Where are today's missionaries? Where are today's people who are saying, inside the local church, I'll be all in. What can I do? Where should I go? God, what would you have me? And I'm not even talking about submitting to earthly elders and earthly pastors and things like that. That's helpful in a shepherding way. It's helpful. But I'm saying, God, where am I going? Here am I, Lord. Send me. And we think, wow, what fanatical Hebrews 11 faith. Or it's just logical, it's just reasonable, it's just bare minimum. I love in the book of Luke where it says, and you've done all that you were supposed to do, all this for Christ, you're just an unprofitable servant. It's true. He says, as you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This type of living all in for Christ, that's what we're calling it today, all in. No dabbling, no faults, all in. No pinch, all in. This type of all living out isn't done by being conforming to the world. Now this world, world here, is not the Greek word cosmos. This is like meaning... The age and era. Don't be conformed or shaped by the era in which we live in. Don't be shaped by the culture. Don't be shaped by the way the world is today. That is not the call for believers. It's something far different. Not to be like that. So be not conformed to this world. But transform. Not conform, transform. If you want to live out Christianity radical as God's calling us to do, and you want to live it out in a way opposite of casual, then there is no conforming to this world. That means this world's ways do not have a bearing on us because it's not what we're supposed to be. I know it's hard, young people. I know you're around and immersed in the culture and social media and what's trendy and what's TikToking. These days, I know that's not a verb, but I felt like making it a verb right now. What's trending on TikTok? What's TikToking? You can quote me on that. What's trending on TikTok? How many likes are you going to get here? Will I get canceled about this, that, and the other? All of those things. Forget that. Don't be conformed to this world. Transform. That means naturally, I will conform to this world. Naturally, my flesh has conformity to want to fit in. I, I use this kind of example with uh, teenagers all the time. You know why I'm in like a shirt and tie and, uh, you know, slacks or whatever you want to call it? Because it's kind of fitting in for what the church attire should be. But if I was in the 1700s right now, you better believe I'd have some kind of wig on and, and I'd be in knickers and some kind of green thing, velvet suit, and I'd be up here like, here, here. I'd be all kinds of that because that's kind of what's acceptable at the time. Right? We, we fall into that kind of, but no, we want to be transformed. How? By the renewing our mind. Let me give you a little hint. The only way to renew our mind is to be immersed in the scriptures. If we want to no longer be conformed to this world but be transformed, it means we our mind's got to change. How does our mind change? We got to know the mind of God. Our our mind's not going to work the mind of God. The mind of the world's not going to work the mind of God. So we put on this, we put on the scriptures, and we use that as our only rule for faith and practice. We immerse ourselves in it, studying to show ourselves approved. God, change me, transform me. And you can't help but to read this Bible, and it kind of mess you all up. You read it, you're convicted. Sometimes I read it, and I'm like, no, I'm not looking at that anymore. Why? Because it made me feel real bad about things. He's transformed. Sometimes you see verses like this, and you're like, okay, living sacrifice. I don't know what all that means. I'm not sure how I can do it, but what do you want? My mind changes. Why do you still hold it important enough to be in a church on Sunday morning? 
Well, hopefully it's because the scriptures transformed your mind because conforming to this world, you're not here tonight. Young people, let me also tell you this. Your parents are in a tug of war for your life and your soul, and they're, they, and we all don't know what we're doing in this culture. This culture is unlike any other culture. We did not grow up in the social media era, and we're saying, man, I, we're trying to help you stay close to Christ, point you to Christ, have your minds renewed, and sometimes we mess up and don't know what we're doing, and, and you know ten times more than we do when it comes to certain things. But our heart's desire is that you be transformed that you be all in for Christ. We're trying to pass you the baton. We're trying to pass you the torch. And sometimes you're like, I don't see any torch. And we're like, pull you by your hair. Just hold on to this. You can't live without it. Please, please listen, listen. And if all this stuff falls on deaf ears, you're not going to get that torch. It's going to fall and that that race is not going to be won. And that's a message for another time. But I'm telling you this, that we are having to have our minds transformed. And parents, being, being challenged, you need to have your mind transformed at home that that permeates down. You've got to be all in for Christ. You can't expect your kids to if you're not. You want your kids to be dedicated for Christ, and you ought to be bringing them here and encouraging them. I don't mean as, as like, you know, a, a militant, like, you know, no love and all fierceness. But what I'm saying is you've got to have that balance of saying, hey, here's the instruction. Here's the encouragement. Here's what we want you to do. Here's the love. But we've got to give clear examples of being here. That's why I keep encouraging you. In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of churches shutting down, in the midst of we don't know what's going on, even if there's only 10 of us here, so be it. Keep on keeping on coming because it's giving that example to show them how to live out their faith. That's the renewing of our minds. Look at what else it says. I want to go quick. That you may prove, and that means prove means test and approve, assess and know, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Paul says, you want to be in the will of God, you have to have your mind renewed so you can know it. And it's going to be through Scripture and the renewing of our mind through the Holy Spirit changing us. This is an all-in challenge for you. This is saying, do what do you want? What do you desire? And I know some of you are still saying, but I don't desire this. I know. But I'm not asking you what you desire. I'm asking you now to consider what is God calling you to. Do you hear the call of the Holy Spirit saying, would you surrender? Would you provide yourself a living sacrifice? Would you offer it up today? Young person, hey, listen, it's got to start somewhere. Maybe you don't have parents at home that are all in for Christ. Maybe you do. I don't know. It doesn't matter what they do necessarily. You be all in. You be all in. I have a long list of teenagers who surrendered to God with no parental involvement with Christianity whatsoever and are off serving God somewhere around the country. For as small of churches as always been involved in, God's always done a work in teenagers' hearts. It can start with you right here, right now, to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm not enough of the shenanigans. I'm done with that. Amen. The world's going to have a very different prescription for you, a very different path for you. Christ says, come to me, come. Remember the disciples? Jesus is teaching, and there's so many people there that there's no room on the shore, and he kind of gets in this boat of these fishermen that had kind of just got done from overnight fishing and caught nothing, and he's out there, and he's done teaching, and the people are starting to disperse, and he tells this, this crazy fisher guy, Peter, He's like, uh, Simon, let's go uh, out into, and let's throw the nets again. And, and, and Simon's like, we just did it all night. I'm 100% still here. And I just washed the nets. But fine, I won't be disrespectful. And he goes out, and, he, and, and, and the fish that come begin to sink the boat. And they call over, hey, James, John, bring your boat over here. We're sinking with so many fish. And their boat begins to sink. <coughs> they get... <coughs> They get to the shore having caught the catch of a lifetime. Newsworthy stuff in the first century. And Jesus says to them, no longer are you going to be fishermen. You'll be fishers of men. Follow me. You know what they do? They left all the nets there. And they followed. All in. All in. 
They made mistakes. They were clumsy. They did stupid, sinful things along the journey, along the way. Absolutely, so will you and I. This is not a commitment to be sinless because we won't be. We desire to be. We won't be. This is a commitment to leave the net. If you haven't already, and and 100% follow him. That's your commitment. That's your surrender. That's your desire. In the new year, that's what I'm going to be. All in. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. Friends, I want you to hear what the Spirit of God's calling you today to do. And I'm not talking about a specific ministry thing. Maybe he is. I'm asking, are you willing to surrender to God all in today? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, Lord, the challenge before us is an impossible one, Lord. It's not something we can do in our own efforts. It's not something we can just by our own volition desire. This is something the Holy Spirit works in and through us to do. Paul cries out and says, please, I beseech you, please, brethren, living sacrifice. And it's a daunting task. It's a scary task. But, Father, we need this type of calling and this type of answer before us, Lord. If we're going to see a revitalized church, if we're going to see revival in our own lives, revival in our families, redemption in society, revival in this country, revival in in the world with missions, then it starts right here, me personally, Lord. It starts with individual people in an individual church, a little church on Long Island, where people just get before you and say, here I am, Lord. Here am I. So, Father, would you shed the hardness of the hearts, the stony hearts, put them aside. May we confess our sins before you to get right. May we be used of you. Lord, may you take our lives and do with them what you desire and will. Forgive us when we grab the wheel sometimes. Forgive us when we try to get out of the pool sometimes. Lord, I pray that you'd call some for the first time that they're hearing it today, that they would make that commitment. And by the way, Lord, we know it's a daily renewal of a commitment. It's a, it's a decision, but it's a daily renewal of that. Lord, I also pray for someone that needs to be saved today, that they would hear your love and hear your cry to be forgiven of their sins. And Lord, we thank you so much that we made it through another year. We pray for those that are sick those that aren't doing well, those that have wandered away from the fold, that you call them home. And Father, we pray that this year would be the greatest year, Father. We know Satan wants to stop that. But Lord, we pray, Father, that you'd work in our hearts and do it work now in our presence, that your presence might be known. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, let me ask you a few questions today. And then I'm going to encourage you to, to come pray. I'm going to encourage you to step out in just a few minutes. You don't have to. I'm not going to force you to. I'm not taking a personal inventory of, of, of doing that. I just want you to be challenged in giving your life. And you can use the front to pray as an altar. You can say, Lord, here's my life on a proverbial altar. <clears throat> but you're here today and you say, Pastor Jason, if I were to die today, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven would you please pray for me? Is there one like that here today? He says, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. God bless you. I see your hand. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven if I were to die today. Would you please pray for me? No one else is looking around. Just myself and God. Can I pray for you? Is there anyone else like that? Let me ask you the second question. How many people here, and I'm going to separate this, so hear me out. How many people here for the first time today, I mean for the first time in their life today, they're going to totally surrender to Christ. They say, Lord, I'm, I hear you, and I want to give my life to you, and I'm making that known by raising my hand today. Is there one like that that says, today I will do that? Would you raise your hand right now? You say, that's my decision today. Very good. 
Maybe you're here and you've done this before and you want to kind of daily renew it and say, Lord, as a testimony of perpetuity and continuity, Lord, I am I am reiterating that that my life is all in for you today. Is that your desire? Would you raise your hand if you want to be all in for Christ? Good. Good. Can I ask another question? How many people here would be willing to say, Pastor Jason, I'm struggling with this. I kind of don't want to surrender to God. That's where I'm at. I just want you to know, and I want you to pray for me. I kind of am want, I don't want to be all in for Christ. I am struggling with that. Would you quietly raise your hand? I can pray for you. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. I just want to pray for you. Just be open and honest. I see your hand. God bless you. Yeah. Anybody else? I'm struggling with this. I kind of don't want to be all in. Very good. Let's stand together. Head bowed, eyes closed. Can I encourage you to come pray? Maybe that's not your practice. That's okay. This is not about religious practice, but you getting before the Lord and saying, God, here I am, or here I am again. The music plays. Why don't you step out of your seat and come? This is I have decided to follow Jesus. And you want revitalized? You want revival? It starts with individual decision-making. Hearing God call you and answering that call. It's not for other people. It's for you. Do you hear it? Will you follow? There ever been in a time in your life where you've gotten alone with the Lord and said, God, okay, here am I. Maybe he's called you to preach. Not me. I thought the same thing. I still think not me. Maybe God's calling you to missions. Maybe God's calling you to teach inside a local church. Lead a Bible study. Start a small group. Go out soul winning. Just be a good witness at your workplace. What is God calling you to do? What does a living sacrifice look like in your life? Imagine this. If you were a robot and God could program you to do whatever he wanted, what would he program you to do? That's a convicting way to look at it because if I'm honest, he'd probably program me to do a lot more than what I am doing. All in, my friend. Is this song in the book? Is that in the book? What page is that? What? Four, four fifty-five. Let's let's. What is it? Five, four, five, four. Greg, why don't you come lead this, and you lead the next song too? But I, I want you to sing this song because because I want to. That's why. Four fifty-four. <laughs> and then I'll pray at the end, and you'll be dismissed.